Well, I know that a lot of you come to church and, and you've had a long week and a lot of things encounter. We encounter a lot of things in our week and uh, I don't know where you're at. I know some of you have heavy hearts. I know some of you are anxious to hear more about the book of Hebrews. And so why don't we begin with the word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we've gathered together before you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through me, Lord. And that your Holy Spirit will open the hearts and minds of everyone here that they might hear from you today. Father, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as per usual, we have, uh, we have a resource table up here. And it has last week's uh, study notes on Reuben's sermon. And it has some study notes from this week as well. wanted to make, a, make you aware of those. Be sure and grab those at the end of the service if you'd like. Also, these, uh, all of these resources are online at, at, uh, on our website. And if you just click on that Hebrews logo, that's going to take you to another page where you have a chance to click on the study notes, or you can listen to the audio sermons, or you can get some bonus materials. My PowerPoint's up there this week. I'm going to use numerous scriptures that we're not going to be able to look up uh, all of them today. And uh, so if you want to see further about those scriptures, they'll be on, online. So make sure you check out our website on that. All right, the book of Hebrews. Today... Today I'm continuing in this, in this uh, study of the book of Hebrews. It's a fascinating study for me. I hope that you've all had a chance to read through Hebrews once or maybe twice. I enjoyed reading through the whole thing and then referring back to it and studying this week. It's a fascinating book because the writer of Hebrews, he uh, puts Jesus into focus. He brings Jesus into the focus of our lives and Jesus into the focus of, of why he exists and what he did for us. And he pre presents this idea that Jesus gave us a forgiveness of our sins that lasts forever. And that we live under a new and better covenant. That that old covenant has been, has been brought to completion by Jesus Christ. And now we live under a new and better covenant. A covenant that's built around grace rather than around the law. And it's a beautiful covenant. And the church then plays a significant role in this new covenant. And so we're, we're playing a dynamic role in this new covenant, this new age. The writer of Hebrews refers to this age as the last days, the last age. And we're taking a, a vital role in that as part of the church. And so it presents this idea that Jesus is a new and a better way than the old covenant. Now Reuben brought, brought us the message on the first three verses of, of the book of Hebrews last week. And he gave me the next verse, verse 4. And so uh, he was only teasing when he said it was going to take about 10 years to get through the book of Hebrews. Now, actually, uh, verses 4 through 14 I'm preaching on today. But Reuben highlighted several things in his message. He highlighted that Jesus is our prophet, that Jesus is our king, and that Jesus is our priest. And because of that, then, Jesus is the better way than the Old Testament prophets. And so Jesus is the high priest. He gives us an everlasting purification from our sins. And also, Jesus is the exact representation of God. I loved how Reuben brought that about last week with the character, the face on the coin. And so when we see Jesus Christ, we see God. Because Jesus is the exact representation of God Himself. It's a beautiful understanding of who Jesus is. This week, then, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews argues that Jesus is also superior to the angels. Let's read that together. I'll begin with verse 1, just to remind ourselves of this passage. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the exact radiant, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's stop right there. Now to, to understand this, this verse, that Jesus is more superior than the angels, I think we need to come to an understanding of how angels are relevant to our lives and how Jesus, angels, and us all fit together. What is the relevance here? Why did the writer of Hebrews bring this up? Because I believe that... Uh, we could all say that either we've had these experiences in our lives that we relate as uh, angel experiences, or we all know of somebody that has had this experience that's kind of unexplainable, and you wonder, was that an angel of God? Let me tell you some of my, some of my experiences and the experiences of people in my family. One of those was my, uh, my nephew. His name is Tyler. About a year and a half to two years ago, he was in a serious car accident. His dad and, and himself, they were driving to a basketball tournament in, in uh, California, and they lived near San Francisco, and so they were driving on one of those major motorways in the states, the interstates, and of course in California there's heaps of people, it's the only place I know of that Kiwis actually visit in America is California, and so you can relate to this, you know how many people are there, and you know the roads are, are very busy. Well, they were heading down the motorway on a busy afternoon, and a car pulled out from behind them and passed them, and as that car pulled into the front, it clipped the front end of their car, sent their car spinning, and their car eventually flipped over several times and landed in the ditch. It was a serious accident. And in the process of a car flipping over and tumbling, my nephew, Tyler, was thrown out of the car, and he landed in the middle of the motorway, and the traffic was still coming through. And so it was a very serious situation. And speaking to Tyler after the accident, he doesn't recall anything about the accident, really. The last thing they remember is that car clipping the front of the car, and then that's it, except for one thing. Now, my nephew Tyler had, uh, had to have his spleen replaced. He had a broken hip. He had broken legs, broken arms. So it was a serious situation. But all he can remember is that there was a man who picked him up out of the middle of the motorway and moved him to the side of the road and set him down. And so afterwards, his dad was uninjured in... After all of that tumbling, his dad was uninjured, got out of the car and started searching for him and was looking for his son and found him on the side of the road. And so in the process of the investigation, the police were wondering how he got there and, and looked and they searched for this guy and couldn't find him. They couldn't find whoever it might have been that moved him to the side of the road. And so, of course, the family now believes or assumes that maybe it was an angel of God that, that moved him to the side of the road. Now, I, I don't know about you, but... But I wonder those things sometimes in my life when I have those encounters that just kind of make you go, hmm, wonder what that was. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you know of somebody in your family or friends who've had an angel experience. I think that most people have had one of these experiences. But this morning I'll do my best to share with you uh, some insights about angels so that we can try and understand why it is important to know that Jesus is superior to angels. First of all, we have to define what and who angels are. What are angels? Because they're, they're, popular, uh, they're a popular cultural thing to talk about. 
They're big business, actually, in our society and culture. Because think of all the movies that were made about angels, and all the television shows, and all of those, all of those books written about angels. I, I came up with a list just searching the internet of some movies and TV shows with angels. You have a movie called The, the Angels. You have Dark Angel. You have Angels in the Outfield. You have uh, John Travolta who plays an angel in the movie Michael. And uh, I don't know about that. But uh, anyhow, you have City of Angels. You have Charlie's Angels. Uh, well, maybe Charlie's Angels isn't talking about the same kind of angels. You have Touched by an Angel. And so you have all these movies. Angels seem to be a popular thing to talk about in our culture and society. We're, we're interested in the supernatural, aren't we? Throughout the centuries, artists have portrayed angels in different ways in, in their renditions of angels. And ever since about the Middle Ages until now, most often you see, when you see pictures of angels, they're either uh, babies like like a picture of Cupid almost, or they're female angels with wings that look like they've never heard a flea. That's kind of the portrayal of angels in, in, in the arts. But our culture is interested in the supernatural. They're starved spiritually. And people crave the mystical. People want to have some type of, of experience with the supernatural. They want to see into the unseen world of the spiritual realm. They want to know something about it. They want to have this, this type of experience. People usually want to define, though, these spiritual things in their own terms. And so oftentimes people want to define their spiritual encounters as if the, the spiritual angels or whatever they might be are there to meet their own personal needs, like a, like a guardian angel, a personal assistant there to, to help me out of situations and to help me in my times of need. And, and therefore, people interpret their doctrine according to their experiences, don't they? And so they have this experience, they think it was an angel, and therefore they've determined their doctrine of angels according to that experience. But what do we actually know about angels? The Bible gives us some insight into, into angels, and all we can know about angels is what's been revealed to us in Scripture. And I looked up the word angel and angels on uh, BibleGateway.com. It's a great place to search uh, Bible words. And so I looked up the word angel, and it's in the NIV 291 times. 291 times. That surprised me, because I don't think we're always aware of how often angels come up in Scripture. Angels are talked about a lot in Scripture. It surprised me how often angels come up, because we really know very little about Angels. We don't hear very many sermons about angels, do we? And so, the Bible speaks of angels a lot. And we know that, yes, there are angels in our very midst. There are angels amongst us. And that we live in the midst of supernatural forces that are all around us. And the Bible talks about us living in the midst of this supernatural battle against the spiritual forces of evil that are around us. And it's a supernatural battle of good versus evil. And the Bible speaks of of angels as some of them are good and some of them are evil. And it's hard to distinguish between the two. The Bible says that Satan masquerades sometimes as an angel of light. And he's masquerading as that angel of light to give you some insight and to help you and persuade you into doing evil rather than good. And so the Bible talks about a lot of these things. And the Bible says that people are not always aware when they encounter angels. They're not always aware of it. And so sometimes angels are invisible, 
And sometimes angels are visible. But what we actually know about angels is somewhat limited. The Bible doesn't actually tell us a lot about what angels do and who they are. It speaks of them a lot, but it doesn't tell us much about them. But there are several things that the Bible does tell us. And I wish we had time this morning to really dig into it and really get to understand these passages. There's heaps of passages on angels. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be able to give you an overview this morning. Otherwise, we'd be here all day. So I'll try and give you an overview of angels because I think it's important to understand some of what angels do and some of who they are before we can understand why it's important that Jesus is superior. And so we know a few things about angels. We know that angels are created beings, that God created these spiritual beings, and they live in the heavenly realms. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, All things were created by Him, and that's speaking of Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And so all things were created by Jesus or through Jesus in the heavenly realms and here on earth. Psalm 148 speaks of this. It says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And those verses speak of heaven and earth and of angels. And so we know that they're created beings of God. But we also know that they're messengers from God. The Hebrew word is malak. The, the Greek word is somewhat spelled similar to our word angel, angelos. And so the Greek word and the Hebrew word both mean the same thing, messengers of God. And so we discover that angels communicate God's message to human beings. In Acts chapter 7, it says that angels assisted in bringing the law to Moses. And then we find in Scripture, we see that uh, angels revealed through a vision to the Apostle John what the future would hold with Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And we discover that the angel Gabriel brought an announcement to Elizabeth and Mary that John the Baptist would be born and that Jesus would be born. And so angels are messengers of God. And apparently angels are also innumerable. There are so many angels that it's hard to count them. Revelation chapter 5 talks about there being thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. A hundred million or so if you take it literally. Hebrews 12 talks about thousands upon thousands. So angels must be somewhat innumerable. There's many, many angels. And apparently angels are ageless. Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 20 that angels never die. And that leads us to think that angels probably don't participate in time like we live in in this time and space in which we live. And I think you discover that angels are without gender, or at, at least angels don't have gender like we know of it. Or there's one gender for angels. Because in Scripture, the word angel, whenever you say, see it, is in the masculine form. And so angels always appear with masculine names as well. You see names like Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer, the fallen angel. So you see these masculine terms come up in Scripture. And so... They're, they're somewhat without gender as we know it. They don't, they don't give in marriage and they don't give birth as far as we know. And so we know that. We know that angels can rebel against God. They can rebel or they have in the past rebelled against God. Revelation 12 speaks of Satan and a third of the angels rising up to rebel against God and got cast out of heaven. And so we know that angels can rebel against God. The Bible also speaks in, in uh, 2 Peter, I believe it is, that angels can sin against God. 
And so angels can rebel and sin against God. They can, or e either they can, or they have in the past, we know. And so angels rebel. Angels are also then mighty and powerful spiritual beings. They have superhuman strength. They are more powerful than human beings. They are mighty. But we have to be careful here because angels are not almighty. God is almighty. Angels are powerful. We know that when we see stories in the Old Testament of Daniel and the lion's den, closing the mouths of the lions so they couldn't eat Daniel. You see, in, uh, if you looked at 2 Kings, 2 Kings, you discover that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. And so the Israelites woke up in the morning and discovered the bodies of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's a powerful being. Far more powerful than anything we've seen or experienced. And so what we discover about angels then is that they are awesome and powerful heavenly beings. But they serve God and God alone. And they carry out His will and they communicate His message to all of us, to human beings. Now that gives you just a brief insight into angels. But it's enough so that we can begin to understand this passage of Scripture then. Let's look at that, verses 4 through 14, chapter 1. Verses 4 through 14. Beginning with verse 4, it says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And in speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so these verses then begin to reveal to us the relationship between Jesus and angels. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why did the writer of Hebrews bring up this topic that Jesus is superior to angels? Because in our day, we don't really think in terms of angels and supernatural beings in that way, possibly. And so it makes you wonder. But you have to then put yourself in the mindset of the writer of Hebrews speaking to the Hebrew mind. He was speaking to the Jewish Christians who were having trouble. They were, they were compromising their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is presenting this argument that Jesus is superior so that those Jewish Christians would remain solely committed to Jesus Christ. Because you have to understand, those first century Christians, they were persecuted by the Romans. And they were also persecuted by the Jewish people. And so, so the, the compromise is this. If a Jewish Christian could just agree that Jesus was only an angel, 
Maybe if they could agree that Jesus was the greatest of all the angels, but if they could agree that Jesus was an angel and not God and not the Son of God, then you see, they'd still be accepted as Jewish people. They'd still be accepted into their families. So if they'd make that minor compromise, so to speak, then they'd still be accepted. Because Jewish people held angels in high regard. They thought of angels as being second only to God in their power and their strength and their might. And so Jewish people held them in high regard. So it would have been easy for a Jewish Christian then to make this compromise. But the writer of Hebrews then, he draws on numerous Old Testament texts. He takes texts there in verses 4 through 14 from the book of Psalms, that wonderful book of worship of the Jewish people. He takes it from their book of Torah and the law in Deuteronomy. And he takes these verses and draws them out to prove that Jesus Christ is superior to angels. Let's look at that together. Verse 5. In verse 5 we learn straight off that Jesus is the Son and angels are only servants. It says, You are my Son, today I will become your Father. Or again, I will be His Father and He will be my Son. So we discover that Jesus is the Son and angels are servants of the Son. Servants of God. Last week Reuben really brought this to, to a strong point in verse 2 when it says, but in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Unlike the angels, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son belongs to God in a different way than angels do, because angels are created beings to serve God. And therefore, the Son is also the exact representation of God Himself. And then in verse 6, you discover then, that Jesus is worshipped, the Son is worshipped, and angels are simply the worshippers. And so angels are these heavenly beings that were created, but they are not the exact representation of God, and they actually worship God. Now the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, the Apostle Paul points out that we need to be careful not to follow those who worship angels. In fact, he says this. He says, do not let those who worship angels disqualify you from the prize. You see, in that first century, people held angels in very high regard to the point that they worshiped them. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that is not the case. We worship the Son, and in fact, angels also worship Him. And you get this contrast then in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The Apostle John has this this vision from the angel, giving him some insights into heavenly things, giving him some insight into the, who the Lamb of God truly is. And in verse 11 he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels worshiping the Son. And so it's important that for the Jewish writer here that was writing this book of Hebrews, it was important to make the Jewish people understand angels have a place, but they are not to be worshiped. Jesus is the Son. And then you begin to, to move into verses 7 through 9, and you begin to discover that the Son is King, and angels are simply messengers of the King. 
The son is king. Angels are messengers of the king and his kingdom. And messengers to serve God and to serve the king and work to fulfill the purposes of that king within the kingdom. And so angels have that specific purpose in serving the son, in serving God. And it points out there in verse 8 that Jesus is the king. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Verse 8 says, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God, because you can speak of Jesus as God himself. He's the exact representation of God. And his throne will last forever and ever. So you get this beautiful picture that Jesus is the king and the angels are the servants within the kingdom. And then in verses 10 through 13, you discover this, the writer of Hebrews is arguing about the foundations of the earth were created. All these things were created by God, and all of those things will also one day then disappear. But it is Jesus that is sovereign, and angels are simply subjects within the kingdom. But Jesus is the sovereign Lord and the sovereign King of the kingdom. And so you begin to see there in verse 10, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. You see that beautiful picture then that Jesus was there in the beginning. When all things were created, Jesus was there. In fact, all things were created through him. And so Jesus is that alpha, the beginning. You see that again with the writer of Hebrews. And then you move on to verse 12, verse 11 and 12. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. And so you have this, this opposite picture then. Jesus is the Alpha, and He is the Omega. Jesus is the beginning. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end when creation as we know it is changed. And it, when creation as we know it comes to an end, Jesus will still be there. Jesus is sovereign. The angels are simply limited in their perspective, limited in their role. Jesus is sovereign. And that means then Jesus is the omnipotent, the almighty God. He has control over the angels. He has control over creation. He has control over you and I. Jesus is omnipotent. Well, then you move down to verse 14, verse 13 and 14. It says, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits, spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And this then begins to summarize all that you need to know about angels. And that is they're ministering servants to serve those who will begin to, to share in this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is superior. In Psalm 91, the writer of this psalm talks about how the, uh, those who choose to follow the Lord God Almighty, those who choose to make Him God of their life, it says this, For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Isn't that great? It's a great picture of who angels are and what they do on our behalf. But you know, you can't assume from this then that angels are your personal guardian set aside, standing beside you to fulfill your own personal needs. That's not what these scriptures are saying. Angels serve and work to fulfill the will of God Himself. Not our will, but God's will. 
All right, that's been a lot. It's a lot of information. It's a lot to understand about angels. So what does it have to do with us today, right now, where we live? Because we live in a day when people crave spirituality. People, people long to see spiritual things. They long to have the supernatural experiences in their lives. And I wish I could stand here today and answer all your questions about the supernatural. I wish I could tell you that all those experiences that you've had, those reported stories that you've heard of, I wish I could tell you for sure, yes, that was an angel of God. But I can't stand here and tell you that. I can't stand here and preach a doctrine on my experience. Those are simply your experiences. And we all have some questions for God, I think. I'd love to tell you that each one of us has a guardian angel that protects us and serves our personal needs. But I find no evidence of that in Scripture. I have a lot of questions for God about the supernatural. I don't fully understand it. And this past week, when I saw the news report and read the newspaper articles about that boat tragedy, when the two children sank in the boat and it sank so fast that the parents couldn't get them out. You know, as a parent, my heart sank when I heard that story. My heart sank. And you have to ask, where were those children's guardian angel in that time? Matthew 18, verse 10, seems to indicate that children have Angels watching over them. So the natural question is, where were their angels? And the only answer I seem to come up with sounds a bit cold. But the answer I come up with is that we're all destined to die. It's really only a matter of when. The writer of Hebrews presents us with this most important aspect. And that is that the most important thing that you can have in your life is to focus simply on Jesus Christ. He is superior. He is the better way. He offers us this purification from sins that no one else can give us. And our focus in life is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope in this life. And I believe that is, that is actually the emphasis of Matthew 18, verse 10, speaking of those guardian angels of the children. Because Matthew 18, verse 10 actually points out that the children's angels says their angels in heaven are always seeing the face of the Father in heaven. Those angels watching over our children are actually watching the face of the Father in order to do His will in their lives. The angels that are watching over our children are there to do the will of God, always watching the face of the Father, ready to do His will. We don't understand it. But ultimately, God's protection over us is most important when we are concerned with the spiritual protection, not the physical. Salvation is to eternity and not to the, to the temporary healing of our physical bodies. The temporary healing of our physical bodies is not the most important aspect of this life. I can't honestly tell you why God allows some to be healed physically and why God allows some to be taken from us permanently. I have that same question about my own son when my own son passed away. Where was his guardian angel? Well, the answer is 
is this, that His guardian angel was always watching the face of God, ready to do His will. As sad and tragic as it is to lose our loved ones, our focus must remain on eternity and not on this temporary life in which we live. So the ultimate question is not, do I have a guardian angel watching over me? The ultimate question is, have I come to the point in my life where I recognize that Jesus is superior? Because it's only when you come to that point, it's only the superiority of Jesus Christ that brings us into an eternal salvation, that gives us an eternal home in heaven. Jesus Christ and His superiority over all other beings gives us eternal life in Jesus Christ, gives us forgiveness of sins, gives us our only hope. That's the perspective that the writer of Hebrews brings into this passage. I liked what John Piper had to say about this passage. He said, once you see angels in their proper place, their role is a magnificent one. They have a role toward Christ, and they have a role toward the people of Christ. Toward, toward Christ, verse 6 says, their role is to worship. Toward the people of Christ, verse 14 says, their role is to serve and help us reach salvation which means that God created angels that His Son might be glorified and that His people might be satisfied in Jesus Christ. So the question I have for you this morning is where, where are you? Where do your loyalties lie this morning? What is the priority of your life today? Have you come to that point in your own life where you say Jesus Christ is superior? Jesus Christ is superior over all my relationships. Jesus Christ is superior over all my thoughts, over all my actions. Jesus Christ is the one I live for. He is, he is the superior one in my life. Is He superior? Is He the better way? Is He your only hope? You see, the people who were reading this letter in that first century, they were compromising their faith in Jesus Christ. What about you? What about you?